0: Hi, I'm Leah Mice, and you're listening to Bridging the Gap. This is the podcast where we talk to blind and visually impaired music creators and producers to better understand their workflows surrounding technology. This podcast is for everyone, whether you're part of the visually impaired and blind community, or you're simply curious about how visually impaired and blind music creators are using technology. This podcast is also available with closed captions on YouTube. Today's theme is New Directions, and we're joined by Maya Sobier, also known as Maybit, and Trey also known as Sound Warrior. We're also joined by Alex Lucas from the Bridging the Gap team. Hi, Leah. Hi. So, Maya, it would be great if you would tell me a little bit about yourself and your musical background.
1: Basically, I finished the first stage of the music school uh, when I was a kid, and I I've learned to play piano and drums, and I love to play and listen to different kinds of music. I was more and more interested in music production and uh, sound engineering in, gen- in general. I was curious how live shows and my favorite albums uh, came about and and who put them together, <laughs> let's say. And I, I got interested in it, and I started to ask questions and learn how to edit sounds and edit audio. and uh, I watched different videos, how to produce different sounds and, and music in general. And now I am sound engineering technician. Uh, I got my certificate like l- last month, actually. That same, I'm to to record and edit audio and mix and i am i hope to, to do that in my future and be professional in that field i am blind so i use technology to do my work and my uh, and produce my music
2: my name is trey i'm currently based in south wales i'm totally blind with cerebral palsy and I make electronic music under the name of Sound Warrior. The kind of thing I make is basically like techno and experimental grime. I guess you could say UK-based music. I'm very influenced by artists like Code Nine from Hyperdub, Jungle like Congo Natty and A-Mentalist, people like 96 Back, Goth Trad from Japan. whole spectrum of really, you know, modern-day electronic music. Um, I first got into music as a child, a friend of the family, one of their children, gave me a concept tape of the Orb. I believe it was either at Glastonbury or Barrowlands, one of the two. But I remember hearing this, this band that were playing music that had a sample of somebody, it was an American voice, describing the different colours which military fighter planes were available in. And from then on, I've always been into electronic music. Later on, when I was younger, I was into hip hop, and then I got into dubstep around two thousand five, two thousand six. I've got a sound engineering, music production foundation degree. I've been making you know music properly for about since two thousand thirteen. As I said, my disability is I'm totally blind with cerebral palsy. I use uh, Mac OS ten with a voiceover screen reader on Mac OS ten, which is text to speech. I use Reaper currently. Um, with a mixture of hardware, so all my digital synths is, is actually modular. I use a step sequencer, which is the Social Entropy Engine, and all my analog synths actually are, are fixed architecture. So I have Mini mood clones. I have things from the Best Studio Systems, and really in my music that I make, I try to make a combination of raveable rhythms, but also using experimental sounds. Yeah,
0: I love the term raveable rhythms.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, like you know, to be honest, I used to go to a lot of like dubstep events in Exeter actually in Devon because a lot of people don't know this but Exeter and Devon where I'm from they have and had quite a solid electronic music scene you know you could go out every weekend see somebody new you know I used to do that so
0: how did you find going to these events blind was it accessible to get around them
2: some were like some were accessible some weren't I found the community very welcoming which was great but I think a lot of the time when you go to events like this, you have to put yourself forward because people won't necessarily come up to you. They won't necessarily know how to interact with a disabled person. For them, it's their first time interacting with a disabled person. And even if some are professional carers like in facilities with disabled people, They're not going to be interacting with them in that social situation. So you do have to sort of put yourself forward. You know, how I found out about them, like literally just Facebooking it, that's it.
0: If you had one tip for all the event promoters out there to make their events more accessible, what would it be?
2: It's always worth employing a couple of greeters, right? If you've ever been to the Apple store to shop or to get a Mac repaired, when you go to the door, you will see a group of people in jackets hovering around, with Apple uniforms on, and they are the greeters, yeah? And their specific purpose is to help people go into the store, ask them what they want, are they okay, what they can help them with, you know, and to connect them with others, right? So for promoters, yeah, just get a couple of people, maybe two or three people, maybe you say, hey, you guys get discount tickets in return. You know, you're my greeters.
1: I would say the same thing as you.
2: Not only is it good for blind people, but it's good for other people that are coming in that maybe they're on their own or maybe they're with a group of friends or whatever, but it just makes people feel more welcome, yeah? yeah? And, like, I think a lot of the things in accessibility, it's not that people don't want to, just they haven't been tried before.
0: Yeah, and um, within music software, do you find that you also have access barriers?
2: Listen, yeah, there are a lot of access barriers currently across music software, whether you're an engin- engineer like Maya whether you're producing electronic music like me, whether you're doing scoring like others, there is all access barriers in software right now. The industry directions are changing slowly, but there's always access barriers. So certain bits of software, like they don't handle peak metering very well. Yeah, so you can't tell if you're clipping. Um, other bits of software, and this is a big one for me, Reaper does have a step sequencer plugin called Sequencer Mega Baby came included in the effect i can't access it because no one's made it accessible you know we have to understand that when we ask people to make things accessible we're introducing them to a whole new world i mean a lot of people don't know that say for example a blind person can even walk out of the house one of the things that we don't talk about in our particular minority group is that people don't imagine us doing absolutely anything right compared to other minority groups we are not imagined to, to do things so You've got to introduce the concept of accessibility to somebody and what that is and what it looks like, as well as introducing them to the concept that you're a proper human being at the same time.
1: Sometimes it's even other way around, like some plugins and some software is accessible and manufacturers don't even know that it's accessible and it's, for example, better for producers or, or engineers because they didn't know it might be a problem. They didn't know, like, uh, it might be a necessity these days, but for example, it turns out like it might be great for them to develop in that direction, but they even didn't know.
2: One of the situations we have in accessibility right now, and everyone is entitled to their creative output, every creative output is valid, and every music making thing is valid. Okay. We have a situation in the visually impaired community where there's a lot of people doing the same things musically. Now, what that means for accessibility is that because a lot of the things that people are doing, they're the same use cases as each other, there's not that opportunity to discover accessibility issues that would maybe be somebody that was, say, for example, doing an edge case. So I'll give you an example. If you have a group of sound engineers or a group of people recording guitar or even a group of people making electronic music right here, And then you get a couple of other people. One's making a sound sculpture with like, I don't know, fiber optic connected Furbies or something. And the other one's doing like a five point sound surround installation. And then another one's doing Sonic Art, yeah? All of those people are going to have different access requirements. But the people that are doing the guitars, the people that are doing the electronic music, because they're all in the same groups, they're all going to find the same accessibility holes. Whereas the more edge cases you get, and yeah. the more weird stuff people do i think actually it's great for accessibility yeah. i i agree I, I
1: loved when i heard that you are using hardware main, mainly yes, because yes. I, I i love hardware actually to in uh, music producing process what is it
2: like what is it like outboard like compressors and EQs and things yeah no i uh,
1: i mainly uh, use for example DAW controllers, it's easier for me. And for my music producing, for example, I bought my first synthesizer a uh, half a year ago. Uh, Korg Mini Log XD, I think faster and create. I, I cr- my creative workflow is better with hardware. And I, like, I'm like i so annoyed by people who... Someone asked the question about, I think, Roland's drum machine or something. And uh, answer was like, so a lot, a lot of software is accessible so why you bother to learn uh, hardware by heart, by heart and I, I hate this discussion because it's like it's a way of thinking more than uh, people trying to to prove something. I agree with you that sometimes we get into the one topic mainly or two and then some, some creators want to work in a different way. And it's so hard to find information about different accessibility problems, but also walk because Mm. no one wants to, to bother like to learn it properly or something like I, I've noticed some kind of issues like that. But this
0: is an important point where like, just because a lot of technology that's accessible is based around software. doesn't mean that hardware shouldn't be accessible as well.
1: Yeah. But also. I came across different issues like uh, no one uses some plugins or some way of automating effects. It's, for example, it's a bit more difficult in different DAWs, and people said something like, "I didn't need that. I I didn't
2: use that." What, what and, do, you, do you use, my? If you don't asking.
1: Uh, I I've learned on Pro Tools and I oh, okay. I like it very much, but I don't use Flow and that's why I have this uh, fault actually. I think because some things aren't accessible in Pro Tools and I think even the manufacturers who made Pro Tools say like. You have this extension, you have these little things so you can walk around. But I sometimes, for example, don't have that. I'm
0: curious about your relationship with hardware. So do you both find it easier to use the hardware in an accessibility domain or do you think that hardware should be playing a bit more of a role in accessibility?
2: Hardware manufacturers should be more on board with accessibility and they need to be encouraged to be more on board with accessibility. Right now in the community, we have lots of people doing lots of recording and lots of people playing instruments like keyboards, pianos, guitars, flute, whatever. And we have lots of people doing sound engineering. That's great. But in terms of people using hardware, there's not so many of them. So this is why more focus is on software. And I think yeah. that actually that's a good thing. However, I've used like brands like Electron. Korg Macbeth Studio Systems, Mutable Instruments, for example. A lot of the hardware brands in electronic music aren't necessarily known by visually impaired people because they don't make that type of music. That's that's fine. Is software being given more focus than hardware right now? Yes, it is because there's more people using it. That's understandable.
1: I think it might mo- it might be difficult to make hardware more accessible. I think you have to make Uh, information about
2: hardware more accessible. I don't think it would be difficult to make some of it accessible, some of it might be. But we have to remember, you know, the kind of cultures that use hardware. So say, for example, if we're talking about hardware, are we talking about electronic music? If we're talking about electronic music, we have to understand there's massive cultural barriers, even in outside the visually impaired community. Okay. I talk- can
0: second that as an Electron user, which is notoriously difficult to program. What, what do you make yourself? Well, I have a visual impairment. I'm blind in one eye, but that doesn't create any access barriers for me. However, the Electron Octotrack has such a menu-divey menu. Yes. It's an incredibly difficult piece of hardware to learn without any access barriers.
2: If there's not a blind person talking to a company... The company's not going to be aware of the need. Yeah, yeah. If yeah, there's not a person with physical disabilities talking to the company, the company's not going to be aware of the need. Of yeah? course. Yeah. Um. So I I think that it's not really a question of malice; it's a question of a lot of people doing the same thing over and over again.
0: And to take that what you just said a step further, do you think that the design can be done well without somebody? within the design team who are representing these backgrounds and have the lived experience. If, yeah, if you've got
2: some of the side of the design team with the lived experience guiding them, then yeah. you know, things can go very smoothly.
0: If you had access to a team of designers and engineers, which technologies would you ask them to create?
2: I'm actually trying to um, get funding and collaborators for a completely accessible sampler, which is hardware, which can be used on stage for totally blind people to make music I want behind. to be,
1: I want to, I want to work with
2: you. <laughs> the idea behind the sampler being it completely open source so we can expand to other disabilities, yeah? Okay. Because think about people with limited movements who use eye gaze, yeah? They, they, they can have access. If your technology is open source and free, everybody can have access to it, right, yeah? Obviously, if you wanted to get the sampler but you hadn't built it, you weren't part of the development team, whatever... And you were just a random person yeah you'd have to put down for the cost of materials and the cost of a tech to build it for you but with the specifications and the materials the tech can just build it for you. that's the whole point of diy electronics
3: is there a bit of a gap in your equipment at the moment do you, do you have a hardware sampler that you can uh,
2: perform with listen it's a need that's not being met by anybody i've tried loads of hardware samples i've tried about five none of them have really been accessible why yeah. with a sampler the interface is naturally visual. There is naturally menus for doing things like selecting the samples, but there sometimes naturally... it's,
1: it's accessible like with these teenage engineering ones or, or something. You do that like using knobs and stuff.
2: Are you talking like the OP1 and OP7 stuff? Pocket
1: operators,
2: yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, no, but they've got their limitations. So the pocket operators they are more for an integrated existing setup. I can't take. I can't take a pocket operator out live and just play with a pocket operator.
1: Yeah, no, like, I know, but I thought about workflow, way of of dealing with samples there is accessible. I thought it might be easier for us to, like, to not have menu diving, so much menu diving in our samplers, like.
2: Yeah, it is a problem. But then if you think about the main, like, one of the aspects of a sampler, okay, is selecting the samples, right? So that um, naturally has to be, there has to be some kind of structure of things there. If you have a sampler, yeah, yeah. and you have a sampler where you can put a pre-recorded sample on it, yeah. you're going to have to select that sound. So therefore, you're going to have to use some kind of menu, some kind of way of selecting that sound. Korg electrodes are great, but they they have limitations which aren't, which kind of R&R to do with accessibility, which makes them not good for live use.
1: I've heard about people
2: using it live. Yeah, they do use it live quite often in combination with with other things. All this now comes down to the way that you want to use something, the way that you want to do things live. You know, we do have a few samples that you can use as a blind person right now. Mm -hmm. And they're great in the studio workflow, but what's missing is that all-in-one box that you can take to a gig.
0: For example, I show up with my Octatrack, I can run the entire set off my Octatrack, I'm live sampling my voice, but I, you know, I am sighted in my right eye, so I don't encounter the same Mm -hmm. accessibility issues. So it's really fantastic that you have ideas, Trey, and I'm just wondering, how would you like to see the relationship between visually impaired and blind performers and the hardware manufacturers or software um, how would you like to see this progressing in the future where you have an idea? Would you prefer to keep it in the open source domain?
2: The great thing about open source and the great thing about manufacturing, you can do everything at the same time. I can be talking to a manufacturer right now, work it out. Their product makes it accessible as well as doing it open source. Yeah. And to be honest, Leah, if you've got some kind of connector Electron, I want to talk to them because I've got an idea of how you can make Electron products accessible right now with minimal effort and minimal money on their behalf. You know, I think a lot of the ways to make hardware accessible is quite simple, but it's just people being aware of that particular thing. Do know. you
0: think Braille has a future in visually impaired and blind access music technology?
2: Maybe in what I do personally, less of a future, but definitely for people that are doing like um scoring work and working with Sibelius and, you know, Classical composing and all this, definitely yes.
1: For mixers as well, because I think it might be uh, so uh, great to incorporate more uh, braille displays, for example, in using with uh, DAWs. Because sometimes voiceover is so distracting for mixers and for music producers who, who use software mainly. Like I, for for my music, I use software because I, like I said, I I started to learn electronic music devices, like hardware devices, not so long ago. So I, to produce my music, I I used software to that time. And I sometimes preferred my voiceover to basically stop speaking. (laughs) To be not so distracting. So not to be louder than my sounds, basically. So I think it might be great for different... I think the W manufacturers to put more effort in connectivity with uh, Braille displays, for example.
2: Like, surely that's an operating system issue more than a specific DAW issue, right?
1: Screen reader, maybe, yeah. But different DAWs have different issues with sending commands to screen readers. Like, Mm -hmm. I I could tell you a lot of uh, problems with voiceover in Pro Tools, which are caused by Pro Tools, basically. It's not a voiceover issue, it's an avid issue.
2: How come you're not using flow tools?
1: I haven't learned it yet. I, oh, okay. Cause, cause... I have to, I, I, I know I have to. It's, it's, it's faster, but it's not necessary to, to mix, basically.
2: It's really weird because right now what we have in accessibility in terms of software is we don't really have, if you're blind, and you want to make electronic music. You don't really have stock that's dedicated to that accessible to you right now.
1: Machine?
2: Not accessible right now. But it will be. uh, Yes, but as we're talking today in this podcast, it's not accessible right now. This is what I'm saying to you. So we know it's coming up. We know that it's being worked on. And logic? But there are certain things which are broken in logic.
1: I am in a stage
2: of planning to to learn logic. <laughs> you know, logic's an interesting one. and There's definitely people out there using it for different things.
1: I think it might be solved with different hardware controllers as well.
2: The issue with hardware controllers, okay, if you have to buy a MIDI controller to use your piece of software, that creates a barrier to entry.
1: But sometimes it's easier to, to save up for days than to search for rockarounds with voiceover, especially uh, because of these reasons I, I told you about earlier. Like, uh, to, I don't want to hear my speech all the time sometimes, so it might be easier to, to have some hardware devices.
2: I understand what you're saying, but I think if we just zoom out a little bit to into an overall picture, and we think of the most use cases, if you're looking at software, and you're looking at, you're saying to a manufacturer, design it for accessibility, you have to think of the most standard way of doing it. And the Mm -hmm. most standard way is the computer, keyboard and screen. reader. that's the most standard way. It
1: shouldn't be broken. Like like you said, no matter what you're using, it shouldn't be impossible to use that without devices, different Mm. controller devices.
3: Do you have a Braille display at home? Do you have one available to you?
1: Yes, I I have, but I don't use it uh, with my music software yet.
0: Is a Braille display something that displays Braille in real time? Yeah.
3: Yeah, so it has a, am I right in thinking, Maya, that it has a number of uh, pins, a pin array, and then it's able to sort of dynamically uh, yeah. change yeah, yeah. which mm-hmm. which yeah. raised yeah. and which yeah. aren't. So would you expect there be to be some kind of uh, base-level functionality with, with any software?
1: I've said that because I've heard about DW, which connected well with, with Braille Display, and right. yeah. they have different solutions for, for example, these peak meters checking different levels and it's it was easier for for them but the most simple way of of explaining it and uh, and using it for me it, will, it would be Trying to switch on using only braille without speech for, for sometimes.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm very upset and there's something that we need to point out here as well, okay? Braille displays are brilliant, and I think everything Maya is saying is completely correct, and I completely agree with what she's saying. I think it was, you know, some people would prefer to use it as a braille display and they won't should be able to. I'll tell you what the problem with braille displays is right now, the cost of them is absolutely astronomical. Of it's course. ridiculous. I'd actually go as far as to say that it's profiteering.
1: Three thousand dollars. For, yeah, a, lot, for a way of writing notes. Like, I know it's not easy to develop that. I know that. I know some people who developing different things. They explained how difficult it is to develop something like that, but not so much
2: so. In access technology products, the business model very much has been sell the product to the charity or sell the product to the government or at local and national level and they then give out to the end user. What this means is that companies are pricing their products not for a consumer, but for an organization. And so this is one of the main reasons why I believe product prices are so high. And because
1: market is so small.
2: It's a bigger market than we would possibly think.
1: Maybe, but it's not so so big to be considered in the first place. Can I ask a question
0: about this braille technology? Is there a protocol? Like we know of MIDI as a protocol where we can connect different devices. Can I conceive of a future where we could connect a braille reader to a piece of hardware?
2: There would be a way to do that, on, but I'll tell you what it would be. Take, for example, Electron Octotrack, right? A common feature of the Electron Octotrack is they have a lot of text on the screen, yeah? What you can do is you can put the text through MIDI. There is a thing that exists, a way of sending text over MIDI to a Raspberry Pi, for example, and then it would be the Raspberry Pi that would output to the Braille display. That's how I'm imagining doing something like that. But if I... you're talking about direct connection to the hardware, I, I can't envisage that, to be honest with you, unless unless it was something that was built. You know, Say, for example, the open-source sampler project that I want to work on, one of the aspects could be for development. You know, can we make it so that if a user so wishes, they can connect it to a Braille display and how that will work. And that that that's, very, that's a very interesting challenge, actually, from a design perspective.
1: I haven't thought about it.
3: So, Maya, I mean, going back to that question about, you know, if you had access to a, a team of designers and engineers.
1: I haven't thought about it, so, yeah. My answer for that question would be a bit different because I think I would ask them to make different software, but software added to hardware, more accessible. I uh, meaning, for example, to interfaces and uh, the uh, MIDI controllers, like, we can buy them, but sometimes we can't set up them properly on our own.
2: Okay, so a lot of the controller software is proprietary, meaning the designs are completely inside the company, Meaning that efforts for controller manufacturing have to be on the manufacturers.
1: For example, audit they have virtual mixers for ID and uh, they are accessible. And they have this cheaper EVO line, which is also great and appreciated, but uh, the virtual controller services for for them aren't accessible, for example. And it's, it's strange because Sometimes in one company you ha- you can find software which is completely accessible for us and software which isn't, so...
2: Give me an engineer and a design team and, I'll, and I've got a project brief ready to go. It's ready to go, it's ready for viewing. Accessibility is such a subjective thing and I begin to realise actually we all have our own definition of accessibility. There's yeah. not just the definition of accessibility from a guideline body like the W's cg or whatever it is but there's also what does accessibility personally mean to you or me or anyone else
1: for example i i know uh, i i know some people who who said they don't want to bother with learning uh, hardware because it isn't necessary for them and uh, for example i personally think that roland tr8 drum machine is completely accessible for me like i have no issues with that i love that I want to buy it and I, like, completely accessible with 10 minutes of explaining. Like, I remember everything. I understood step sequencers because of this device. So <laughs>
2: I've been looking up a manual of the currently available step sequencer somebody recommended to me the other night.
1: Manuals yeah. will, would be a great start for companies to be accessible.
0: Would you request a manual that is specifically written for
1: people with visual impairments? I've read some manuals which were great. But I think it might be great for blind people to tell manufacturers what is important. Because sometimes it's like, you press this button, and this happens, and you have some pictures there, and that's it. Some companies can write their manuals so clearly that Mm -hmm. I am able to, to find my way around their devices, even on my own. So I think it might be easier even for them to start with with this simple step to make my life a bit easier, <laughs> to to read their manuals with words, not with pictures. I have uh, Roland's TD 17 I've read the manual and I, I still had to ask someone to explain which button they are referring to.
0: Maya, I think this is a fantastic place to wrap this up, just the sentiment that we can go and explore very complicated access technology improvements, we can talk about haptics, we can talk about braille readers, but sometimes it's something as simple as just improving the manual, that can result in actual working technology for us all. This has been a fantastic episode of Bridging the Gap podcast. We look forward to hearing from all of our listeners about this. And thank you so much for your time.